Actually, there's a lot that I want to share with you this evening. Um, I've been praying about this topic and having the opportunity to share for quite some time. Um, so I ask that you would pray for me and that God would give me the wisdom as I share, because there's a lot on my heart. How many of you um, at some point in your life have ever been involved in some type of scripture memory program? Some type of scripture memory program. Okay. There's a lot of us that have. Um, maybe some of you still are. Um, maybe some of you would like to be. Maybe some of you, like me, have struggled over the years seeking to make that like a consistent part of your life. Um, you know how things come and go. To begin with, I actually want to share just a little bit of my testimony and how God has worked and led in my life. I think it's really encouraging when people share, you know, where God's brought them and, and those things. To start with, I just want to say um, I was actually, I, I really consider myself a very blessed um, from my childhood and as a child. My home wasn't perfect, as most of ours aren't. There was actually a lot of pain and a lot of trials and a lot of struggles. Um, my mother actually struggled with a digestive disorder. Um, she still does. She lived in constant pain. Uh, there was, on more than one occasion, we thought that she wouldn't live, that um, she wouldn't make it. So that was really difficult. And after I was born, um, she was told she couldn't have any more children. And so didn't think we were going to have any siblings, so we, as a family, chose to adopt. And I guess that was a magic fix because she then got pregnant after she adopted two times in a row um, without having no menstrual cycle or anything. She didn't, you know, think that her body was functioning in that capacity, but it was. However, even after that, she continued to struggle with pain and um, problems, and she wasn't really able to give us kids what we needed. I mean, she did the best that she could, but it was a struggle. It seemed like there was a constant searching for the right cure, the right doctor, the right medicine. We traveled all over. She's had exploratory surgeries. She's been to Mexico. We've been to Toronto, uh, just all over looking for help. So it was a struggle for me, wondering if I'd have my mother another day. Um, however, despite the heartache and the pains and the struggles, um, I still had a really good life, and God really blessed and I was blessed in the fact that my parents loved God, and they taught me at a very young age to love God and to love his word. They started me memorizing Bible verses. Um, they had a scripture memory program that they did with pictures and music, which was very effective, which I highly recommend for anyone that has children. And it was, it was just you know ingrained in me from my childhood, so I was, I was really blessed. I gave my life to God when I was about 12 years old. Um, but it was actually in high school when I began to have my own personal relationship with God. That's like when my faith started to become my own. And it was then that it was like the Bible really came alive to me. I remember, in fact, I almost remember the day. Um, someone had given me a promise book, and somehow that was a little easier to read than the Bible, although I'd read stuff in the Bible, and I was looking through promises, and I was like, wow! You know, I told my roommate, did you know this was in the Bible? They're like, did you know this was in the Bible? I was just like, this is incredible. If this is really true, this is incredible. And I was just, you know, 
waking up to, to more of the things. And, you know, I'd heard them growing up and everything, but it's like it all of a sudden became real for me. So that was really cool. Then when I was in high school, I joined a discipleship training program, um, which was developing back then and has later turned into the FAST Ministries, which some of you may be familiar with. It's um, based out of Uchi Pines, Alabama, and I'll tell you more about that. That program's had a lot of impact in my life. Anyway, despite my parents' efforts to train me to love God, um, despite the um, awesome high school experience I had, um, and despite God showing himself in some very powerful ways, um, like, for instance, you can see here, I, I was able to serve uh, as a student missionary with David Gates for a while, and, and that was really some faith-building experiences. And then working, um, becoming a nurse and doing medical missions was really really powerful. And then when I was at Southern, I actually led um, fast Bible study teams. And it was awesome. You know, I knew that God was there, and I was claiming his promises. But despite all these things, I had my struggles. And there was a period of, period of time in my life, um, because of some difficult experiences that I had to go through, that I actually walked away from God. And I really am ashamed to say this. Um, and a lot of people that knew me at the time never even knew because I still did all the forms. I went to church and I was part of the youth group and all these different things. But I internally had been so hurt that I walked away. I stopped really praying or my prayers were just like superficial. Stopped memorizing scripture. I've been doing that. I stopped you know, having my heart, I stopped really trusting um, God, and it was, you know, just at the time I needed to the most, I stopped, and I actually went into almost two years of pretty severe depression, and just, you know, wasn't even wanting to live for a time, but thankfully, um, through God's power, the consistent love of my family, and um, I went through the depression, the depression recovery program with Dr. Nedley, which was very effective, I can tell you that from personal experience. Um, but I also got back into scripture memory, and I think that that was a big key as well. It healed my mind and it brought me out of that darkness with which I had sunk. And it's really interesting because before all this, I had like no, I had no patience or no sympathy for people really that dealt with depression. I was always, you know, kind of like, you know, why can't they get it together and what's the, what's the deal here and stuff like that. But you know until you have been in that situation, it's really hard to know. It's really hard to know and it's hard to judge. And you can't judge. You really can't. But anyway, so God brought me out of that and I just praised him. And it's really weird to say, but well, I thought I had a good life before, it's actually been so much better since. And it's just a, test, a testimony. Isn't, isn't God good? It's a testimony of what he can do. So I just wanted to share, well, it hasn't been an easy walk. Um, God's been building me through the tough times. And I pray that with his strength, I don't turn away from him again. Um, but it's through his strength, because every time I try to do it in my own, I still fall and I still struggle. It's, it's a very real battle. So anyway, regarding um, hiding God's word in our hearts, whether we've memorized it for years, whether we're doing it now, or whether we've never done it and we'd like to start, I'm really hoping, this is a really big passion and burden of my heart, and I'll just be real with you this evening about it, um, I'm really hoping that this can encourage and motiv motivate all of us to get back into the word more and to really internalize it into our hearts, because it's so vitally important. Um, 
Back in January, before Dave left, he shared a quote that I've referred to a couple times. I want to just share it again really briefly. Here's excerpts from it. It says, preach full sanctification. Preach it definitely. Preach it explicitly. Preach it strongly. Preach it wherever you have opportunity. Insist upon it everywhere. Speak and spare not. Let no regard for any man induce you to betray the truth of God. Preach full sanctification. Now, you remember what sanctify stands for? Set apart? I heard some others. To set apart, to cleanse, to make holy, to separate from profane things, all of the above. When we're talking about our own lives, one of the first verses that always comes to my mind, and I'm sure you know many of you are familiar with it too, is Psalms 119, 9 and 11. It says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? You could put sanctify there. Wherewithal shall a young man sanctify his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then John 17, 17, which says, Sanctify them through thy truth, or cleanse them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That's powerful. You really realize what that's saying? I mean, we, we read it, but... Thy word is truth. Sanctify them. Cleanse them through thy truth. A couple of weeks ago, we read through um, the chapter, the scriptures as a safeguard from the great controversy. And that's one of my favorite chapters in the great controversy. And just, I'm going to share, again, a couple quotes here. Just because I think as we remind ourselves and go back and look, we're, we're re-inspired and encouraged. So from page 593, it says, The people of God are directed to the scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive powers of the spirits of darkness. Satan employs every possible device to prevent men from obtaining a knowledge of the Bible. For its plain utterances reveal his deceptions. At every revival of God's work, the prince of evils aroused to more intense activity. He's now putting forth his utmost efforts for a final struggle against Christ and his followers. That speaks a lot as well when we look at how how hard Satan is working to try to keep us from being in our Bibles, from studying, from knowing the truth. But do we think about, again, I'm always, I guess, trying to bring it back to practical and home and just how can we make it personal and how can we break it down? You know, we know that there's a battle going on in the world around us. We know that there's a battle, a great controversy going on in the governments and even in our church. But do we really think about how it's happening every day in our own lives, every day in our own walk with God? Every day, how's the great controversy I mean, you could probably look at your life, I know I could, and just look at today and say, how was Satan trying to keep me from following God in this thing or this thing or this thing? It's incredible. There's four things, um, I call it four crucial ways that Satan attacks us, and we're just going to look at those really quickly. The first one, Satan employs every possible device to keep us from deep meditative study of the Bible. He, you know, it doesn't really matter. Well, it does matter. Be careful how I say this. Satan's not so concerned about the fact, if we know a bunch of Bible facts, 
or all these different things as long as they don't change our lives, right? We can have the intellectual knowledge because he has that. He knows. But does it, does it change his life? Does it change his heart? No. If it doesn't change our hearts, if we don't go to the Bible with a sincere desire to really be changed and surrender to him, it, it's, not, it's not that detrimental to his cause. The second thing, he employs every possible device to keep us from deep, soul-searching prayer. I won't ask a show of hands how many people struggle with having undistracted prayer time. Either your mind's busy thinking about what you've got to be doing next, or something happens where you are, or you're rushed because you've got to get to work or whatever. Satan's always trying to keep us from prayer. In heavenly places, it says, prayer is the breath of the soul. It is the secret of spiritual power. No other means of grace can be substituted and the health of the soul be preserved. Prayer brings the heart into immediate contact with the wellspring of life and strengthens the sinew and muscle of the religious experience. What happens if we don't breathe? Physically, we die. What happens if we don't breathe spiritually? We die. Prayer is the breath of the soul. The third area of attack, he employs every possible device to keep us from praising God in our trials and from growing in faith. How difficult is it to thank God for the difficult things that happen in your life or the things that happen that you don't want? They're not on your agenda. They're not in your plans. You know, sometimes we probably think, God just desires to make me miserable or why can't he ever stop? <laughs> you know, I was out jogging. In the hills this morning, um, up one of the hills, I was trying to get to the top without stopping because I'm trying to build up my endurance because I've uh, got some mountains to hike with Jennifer and a few other girls here coming up. So I was trying to make it to the top. I made it to the top of one of them. I didn't make it to the top of the other one. <laughs> I was like thinking, God, why does this have to get, you know, harder and harder, it seems. It, it seems like it doesn't get easier. And it's just, you know, the upward journey is a battle and a march. We can't expect it to be a row, row your boats gently down the stream. It's not going to be that way. It's a battle and a march. Another powerful quote, and this is from Great Controversy 621. The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger. A faith that will not faint, though severely tried. Those who exercise but little faith now are in the greatest danger of falling under the power of satanic delusions and the decree to compel the conscience. And even if they endure the test, they will be plunged into deeper distress and anguish in the time of trouble because they've never made it a habit to trust in God. The lessons of faith which they've neglected, they will be forced to learn under a terrible pressure of discouragement. When waves of despair which no language can express sweep over the suppliant, how few cling with unyielding faith to the promises of God. You know, that, that quote right there has given me such a different perspective on trials in my life. And, and I say, you know, I struggle with them. We all struggle with them. I cry over them. I battle over them, just like you. It's, it's something we're all dealing with. But yet, realizing that this is my time of probation, this is my time of testing, this is my time of being built. You know, if God can give me strength for this trial, he can give me strength for the next trial. He can give me strength for the next, just one hill at a time. The final area of attack um, that I'll mention this evening is he employs every possible device to keep us from being obedient in our lives and in our witness. And you know that's true as well. You know, you can read the Bible, you can pray every day, but then... 
to actually put that to practice like we talked about. Um, it seems like, and we were talking about this in the prayer request and everything, that our lives is just one juggling act. There's always one more thing to add on the plate. There's always one more thing to do. And this really portrays that. Satan knows if he can keep us too occupied, too distracted, too tired, too busy, or overcommitted to make time for these important characteristics he has us. From our high calling, page 44. Heaven with its attractions is before you an eternal weight of glory which you may lose or gain. Which shall it be? Your life and your character will testify the choice you have made. I feel the more anxious because I see so many indifferent upon the subjects of infinite importance. They are always busy here and there about matters of minor importance, and the one great subject is put out of their thoughts. They have no time to pray, no time to watch, no time to search the scriptures. They are altogether too busy to make the necessary preparation for the future life. Altogether too busy. They cannot devote time to per perfect Christian characters and in diligence to secure a title to heaven. Now tonight's prayer meeting is actually going to be um, part of a four-part series as I'm going to talk about and encourage in each of these areas that we talked about that Satan seeks to attack. Um, but this evening I'm going to be talking about the first area, which is the study of the Word and Scripture memory, and how that is so vitally important to our life. And when I say vitally, um, it's not just a fancy adjective to make important sound more important. Adjectives are fun to use and everything like that. But do we really think about the vital importance? Now, becoming a nurse, um, I learned more about the vital signs than I had before and how they affect our life. If one of them is not there, um, the others are soon going to fall, right? They all have to be working in harmony. You have to have your blood pressure, um, your heart beating, puts out a pulse, your breathing, um, you've got a temperature, um, oxygen is getting um, where it needs to be. These are all vital signs um, that are important. And you can have a heart attack or be thrown from a car or whatever, but as long as those vital signs are still there, there's still hope. You know, they may be fluctuating wildly, but if they're there, there's still hope. However, if they're absent, life ceases to exist. So now when I talk about putting God's word into our heart and these areas that we talked about, you see the vital signs of life. And this is the discipleship wheel that I've actually modified a little bit from the FAST program. But I think it so practically illustrates the spirit-filled daily life of a Christian. Christ is at the center. We take his word into our hearts and we're changed. I don't know if you can see, but there's um, a verse there, John 1.1, 1, 1, which basically refers to, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then next is verse 12 that says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That is the power, and that's where it starts, as we receive the word. And then as we pray and connect and we're down on our knees, as we praise him in faith and grow in faith, and then as we witness in obedience. And that's the discipleship wheel. And we could talk more about that, and we'll talk about the other areas later on. Now, in Matthew 22, uh, Jesus was asked a question concerning which is the greatest commandment in the law. And he actually referred 
Um, or he responded by quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. And if you can just turn there with me, let's do that. Deuteronomy 4. Yeah, sorry. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to be starting with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thine might. Now, in this, after this command, you see closely linked this verse. Six, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So the great command to love God actually seems to be intimately connected with the, ver- with the command to put God's words in our hearts, to take them internally into our lives. Now in verse 7 through 9, we see some of the ways that that can happen. And actually here are some of the principles of scripture memory right here. In verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. Now I want to just stop right here. Thou shalt bind them upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. You remember um, probably during Restoration, some of you that attended Restoration, uh, Matt Parr was talking about the mark of the beast and how it's going to be a sign upon our hand and upon our foreheads. And how that's not such or so much a physical sign but actually represents what we think and what we do and if you think about these verses God wants his word to be such a part of our lives that it's literally ingrained in our forehead everything we think and everything we see is filtered right is filtered through his word everything we do is filtered through his word if you look at the verse before talking about um, oh no, verse 9, going on, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Seriously, if God's word was the filter of your gate, maybe the gate of your eyes, the gate of your mouth, the gate of the door to your house, how would things differ, be different in our lives? You know, I can tell you from personal experience, if I had had that gate in place all times, there would be things that would be different that I wouldn't have allowed or that I wouldn't have participated in, or that I wouldn't have done, or, or whatever. God's word is actually a filter. I think that's um, so incredible to realize what, what God wants to do. And at the same time, he's telling us, you know, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and strength. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now, knowing a bunch of memory verses... Um, yeah, and I, I miss verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good, always that he might preserve us alive. The whole point being that he wants us to stay alive. And that's what we're talking about, staying alive and growing spiritually. The whole point um, being, though, I want to mention, it's, again, it's not the memory verses that we're learning or memorizing that are actually, um, that doesn't save us. It's are we developing a relationship with God? that what we do, everything we do, is influenced by his word. Before we do anything, 
you know, are we asking, is this what God wants me to do? Do we have trust in God and his word that we would die for it? There's a verse I wanted to share that I was reading recently from Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. There are actually souls that have been beheaded and will be beheaded for this cause, for the sake of Jesus and for his word. Do we have that faith? You know, God gives us strength one day at a time, thankfully, because when I think about the future and I think about the time of trouble and things like that ahead, I'm just like, oh, God, you know, I don't want to go through that. Please deliver me or take me home before. <laughs> we know that's, that's not the way that it is. So how do we acquire a faith strong enough to die for? See, I'm, I'm going to get to um, scripture memory here, and I'm almost there. But I just want to just share and re-inspire you, encourage you in a new way. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we not just read and study our Bibles, but that we internalize it? How do we acquire the faith that's strong enough to die for? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's from Romans 10:17. It is of the greatest importance that you continually search the scriptures, storing the mind with the word of God, for you may be separated from the companionship of Christians and placed where you will not have the privilege of meeting with the children of God. You need the treasures of God's word hidden in your heart that when opposition comes upon you, you may bring everything to the scriptures. What's it going to be when we don't have a Bible with us, when we don't have someone that we love around us to support us? We have to have it already in our hearts. So I'm going to briefly, try to briefly, this always takes longer than you think. I thought, oh, I can, I can do this in just a few minutes, but um, bear with me here. Five powerful ways scripture memorization will affect your life. Number one, scripture memorization helps us find answers for our faith. Now, I know these verses are, many of them are familiar. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Then 1 Corinthians 2.5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's not what your parents believe. It's not what the teachers believe or even your pastor that counts. It's what God, God has in his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then John 5, 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Acts 17:11. These are more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily whether these things were so. They didn't just take the word. They went and searched and said is is what he's preaching really true? Can we trust it? So we need to learn the word of God so well 
that everything we see in life, every belief, every system that we experience is screened through the Word of God. And whatever method Satan seeks to try to discourage us or, or get us off track, we will not be caught off guard. Uh, you know the verse, um, Isaiah 8:20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. That's our measuring stick. Okay. This is a quote from the Great Controversy, um, just talking about how we look to others instead of searching the scriptures for ourselves, from page 593. Have to measure everything by the word of God. Number two, scripture memorization, um, benefit that it brings, enables us to answer for our faith. Now, just as, yeah, you may be aware, you may not be aware, but actually, my area of strength, personally, is not in theology and doctrine. The prophecies, all those different things, um, have never been my strong point. But is that an excuse to not study them? No. We need to study, we need to know for ourselves. And we need to be seeking, because if we don't know those truths and those, those facts of the Bible, we're going to be caught off guard when we have to be put to the test. In Isaiah 43.10, it says, Ye are my witnesses. So when the time comes, are we God's witnesses? Are we God's witnesses now? 1 Peter 3.5 says, But sanctify, there's that word again, sanctify, the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I know there's been different times, and, and there's still things that come up in my life, and somebody asks me a question or something, and I like, hmm, I have to think about it. Because I'm not really quick sometimes with coming up with things. Sometimes I am, but sometimes I'm not. And, I, and then later I'll go home and think about it. I'm like, oh, man, I should have shared that with him, or I should have shared this, you know. But if I had it just right on the tip of my tongue and, and in my head, um, how much quicker maybe it would have spoken in a time of need. Psalms 119, 42 and 46. So shall I have to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. I will speak of thy testimony also before kings and will not be ashamed. Luke 21, 14 through 15. Settle it there in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Wow. You know, we're not having to go into these times all prepared. But the point is, if we haven't prepared before, how are we going to stand? How are we going to be? You know, like Joseph, if he hadn't been putting God's word in his heart and he hadn't been preparing, how would he have stood the test when it came? And the same is with us. If it's not in our lives and our hearts initially, we're not going to have it there when we need it. Then John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So when the word's in our hearts, it's as if Jesus is standing right there with us, answering for us. Number three, scripture memorization enables us to gain victory in the daily battles of our lives. We already talked about Psalms 119, 9, and 11. But it doesn't matter um, what the struggle is. God can give us the victory. And we're all sinners. We know that. You know, Ecclesiastes 7 tells us there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. 
But um, as my friend and scripture memory mentor, Dan Viss, always says, um, how does he put it? There's no victory in our lives because there's no word in our hearts. There's no victory in our lives because there's no word in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 10.13, There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. Isn't that powerful? 2 Peter 1.4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's a powerful promise that we might be partakers of the divine nature through these promises that God has given us. Then in Matthew 4, you know the different temptations in the wilderness that Jesus met with. He didn't have time to go running to a synagogue and look through a scroll and find the certain reference or the quote that he wanted. He knew it, and he met it with, it is written, it is written, it is written. And how much more should we seek to follow that example in our own lives and hearts? Romans 15:4 For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And isn't that what we want here at Advent hope? <laughs> Is hope, hope for a dying world, hope to help others see something better at the end of the tunnel, a hope that helps others prepare for eternity. Number 4. Scripture memorization prepares us for the battle ahead. I could go on and on here, but um, I know we're running out of time. So Ephesians 6, we're all familiar with the, with the um, chapter on the armor and how we're encouraged and admonished to put on the whole armor of God that, we, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, starting in verse 11. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood principalities against powers against the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places i know um being a student missionary among the arakawa indians in south america um i actually saw up close the personal spiritual battles that people were having i i saw people possessed we prayed over people that were possessed um we had different issues and demons that were controlling different people um that we dealt with and it was really scary it was really scary. and I mean, it wasn't camouflage. It was just like right out there in the open. And I remember lying in bed at night, looking up at the ceiling, and I can hear the monkeys howling in the jungle and the weird insect noises all around. And I can hear the hoots of the drunken parties across the river where they had a little bar and stuff. It was pretty primitive, but oh my, you know, they can still have their wild times. And you knew that the devil was close by. And I just remember praying. God, you promised to be with us. You promised not to leave our side. And please be a light here and protect us and help us to reach out. I really saw it there. But it's harder when you're here in America where everything's good and comfortable to see the battle that's around you. It's harder to see it in your own home. You know, like if you're in a fight with a family member or your spouse or a friend or whatever, do you really see that as a spiritual battle? You know, I don't... Or we just tend to blame it on it's a bad day. You know, they're not doing what I want, or I'm irritated, or it's a bad day. But actually, it's a spiritual battle. It really is. And if we could see it as a spiritual battle, I think, um, and go to God for help and for strength and claim the promises, we'd actually have a lot more victory in those times um, because we don't see it as a battle. And he wants to, um, to turn us from that. 
Um, and, and in verse 13, and I won't read further, but it just says, take the whole armor of God. And I challenge you to actually go through that chapter and add um, each of the characteristics that they have. Put the word of God in that, in each place. You know, your feet shod with the, with the word of God, taking the shield of God in each area, not just the, the sword of the spirit as we're um, familiar with doing. Word of God is powerful. Um, you can see the rest of the verses <clears throat> there. Let's see here. What I want to skip to. First Peter five eight. I don't have there. First um, Corinthians sixteen three. Watch ye stand face stand fast in the faith. Faith, quit ye like men. Actually, 1 Peter 5, 8 is what Jennifer was referring to either um, earlier about being sober because the devil's walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then um, I just want to share this one. Psalms 27, 5. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. I just think that's really a comforting a comforting verse. None but those who fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Finally, number five, power to our prayer life and relationship with Jesus. In John 15, 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. And then Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Romans 4.20, For he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Again, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm throwing too many verses out here, I'm just giving you sensory overload, but I just read over these verses again, and I'm just like, wow, wow, you know, do we really claim that promise? Is that really, is that really real for us? It is. It needs to be. God put it there for us. Be careful for nothing but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And then in Romans 8, and I have to turn here. This is like one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. The whole chapter is awesome. But, um, you know, when we pray for things, we tend to think that God's going to give us what we want. Or if he doesn't, something's wrong. But God knows what we need, and it's not always what we want. And I like the verse in Romans 8:26 that talks about the Holy Spirit, um, the Spirit itself making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, for we know not what we should pray for. And then um, going on um, to verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Then skipping to verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And it just goes on and on. I mean, if we have those verses in our heart and the principles in our life, what an encouragement that is when we're going through the times of trial. It's so encouraging. If God's word were steady as it should be, men would have a breadth of mind and ability of character that is rarely seen in these times. Heavenly Places, page 135. Just doing a summary on that quote. In every command and every promise of the word of God is the power, the very life of God by which the command may be fulfilled and the promise realized. He who by faith receives the word is receiving the very life and the character of God. So in quick review, you see scripture memorization not only helps us find answers for our faith, 
share answers for our faith, have victory in daily battles, victory for the great battle ahead, and power to and adds power to our prayer life and relationship with Jesus Christ. And these are just a few off the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I had a whole list of actually over 20, and I was um, talking with Sunny today as we were out running errands. I'm like, I can't decide if I should share 10 or 20, or maybe I'll just stick with five, and I'll give them a handout with the rest of them. Actually, didn't get the handout made because I was rushing to, to get things um, together at the end. But uh, these, are just, these are just powerful. You know, we live in a really, as I close things up here, um, we live in a really do-it-yourself society. Quick fix, instant mixes, all these different things. You know, do-it-yourself right now. But the do-it-yourself actually isn't going to work when it comes to passing the final test, is it? It's not. Proverbs 16.25 says, There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 119.105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light onto my path. Again, memorizing the Bible, scriptures, whatever, doesn't save us any more than doing any other good work, right? It's a relationship, a saved, committed relationship with Christ where we're allowing him to come in and change us, cleanse us, and help us to walk a new way. And in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we see that. It talks about, for we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. However, scripture memory draws us closer to that goal, and helps us think like Jesus thinks, and love as he loves, and hate the things that he hates. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And what's so incredible about a living sacrifice, it can choose to crawl back off that altar. We're not up there just dead and helpless, like the lambs and the animals that were slain in the Bible times. A living sacrifice can choose to crawl off that altar. But we give ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Proverbs 4.18, But the path of the just is a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So that's my overview on scripture memory. And um, I'd like to challenge, challenge you, if you're not doing it, um, to think about making scripture memory a part of your everyday life. Um, I have a few resources at the back. Just if you are looking for resources, you're welcome um, to check those out. And if you're interested in, in um, getting some of the FAST materials, there's resources for children's memory as well as the adult program I did with FAST for a while. They've just been tremendously impacting on my life. They're Bible study, Bible study resources you can actually go through. And as you go through, learn how to um, do scripture memory better. Or you can just buy packs of Bible doctrine cards or discipleship cards or whatever. They have them in little binders. I tend to um, like to put mine on a ring so they don't get lost and just flip them around, you know, as I go places. But I just want to give you some resources that, that are available if you don't have those resources. But just challenge you, you know, the times we're living in are so vitally important. And I know I struggle every day. I struggle every day with getting up, with prayer, with really making the priorities in my life stick and stay. But keep, keep seeking the high road or the road less traveled. It's a narrow road, but God will give us strength, and he has a great plan, and it's going to be worth it. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for your word and the power that's in your word. And Father, forgive us for taking it for granted. And... 
so many times overlooking it, trying to solve things in our own strength and power, when actually you've given us the solution and the resources in your word. And Father, I know I've gone much over time this evening, but I thank you for the patience of um, each one here. And Father, I just pray that we could be encouraged and inspired and motivated in our lives to draw closer to you, not because of anything good that we can do or we save, Father, but we thank you for your forgiveness and for your righteousness that covers our filthy rags for the new life that you're seeking to work in our lives. And Father, we just give ourselves to you this evening. Please come into our hearts. Write your words in our hearts, we pray. Thank you in your precious name. Amen.